0: Rotor directed like five of my like top 10 funniest films. Ever. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he, I mean, he passed away in 2014 Uh Born in a 1945 and still just wonderful and sweet and super funny and beautiful
1: Goldie Hawn Goldie Hahn, how would that would make her 77? Goldie on 77 years wow. old. Wow. yeah know, I still think of her as like the 19 year old that was
2: and I un- laugh
1: the
0: girl in my soup or super what, what, <laughs> Yeah,
1: right Uh Bjork is 57. One of the, one of the stranger, uh, acts. <laughs> she's, she's You've weird.
0: Along. And I, I, I will honestly say, I've never been a big fan of, of her music, but people like her very much. And she's 57 years old today. Troy Aikman. I've never been a big fan of Troy Aikman either. Neither have I. But he's 56 today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. A very, you know, if Sam Usual is one of the all time great, uh, outfielders of all time, Ken Griffey Jr might be the best left fielder. Well, top 5 at least of all of them all. I yeah. Think. In his prime, before he went mm-hmm. to Cincinnati, man, Ken Griffey was,
1: yeah, and he was actually um, he was a center fielder. He was one about of the it. like the second most home runs out of anybody who hasn't done steroids. Third most, yeah, okay, well, and
0: that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. He had one of the most beautiful swings I've ever seen. He did. Oh man. Anyways, he's fifty three years old today, mm-hmm. and our final sports Hall of Famer of the day, born today in nineteen seventy one, Michael Strahan, fifty one years old. The all-time sax leader still i think or sing, I single season sax leader for yeah. sure yeah 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 and uh you know famous for also being a, a tv host and having a really good gap in his teeth
1: i'm gonna throw one more name in there okay going back to 1907 buck ram i don't know who buck ram buck is. ram is uh, he was a songwriter and um they did bmi mm-hmm. the uh union for uh musical yes. artists uh, did uh, uh, a tribute to their top five songwriters at, with a, with AirPlay, Radio AirPlay, in the first fifty years, which would have been probably in the eighties, maybe 1990s sometime. So everyone had done that. Okay, he was top five, really. Uh, along with Paul McCartney, Paul Simon, Jimmy Webb, and Chris Christopherson. Did, did Buck Ram write Happy Birthday or something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. He um, wrote it. it so, much, so much of it was doo Okay. He wrote the doo-wop songs, The Great Pretender, Twilight oh, Time, The okay. Magic Touch, okay. Only You, all those all hits right. for The Platters, and also hits for uh Ike and Tina Turner, Duke Ellington, uh, The Coasters, Drifters, Penguins, Ella Fitzgerald, Glenn Miller. Okay, you know what's interesting about that, too? The Paul Simon song
0: I was just talking about, Brene and Georgette McGreet with their dog after the war, mm-hmm. is a doo song that pays as much uh, tribute to the doo-wop people you just talked about as it does to rename agree
1: buck ram buck there ram it. there it is his name was sam sam ram but Sam, they called him Buck. Sam the Buck Ram. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Noon 3 and 5. And I'll be back in just a minute with uh, Justice you, Gordon Yeah, Moore. We've got to usher him in, and we will see you back. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Rich Larson from the KYMN News Center. Jeff, getting out of here. I'll be back tomorrow morning. Coming up tomorrow on the uh, KYMN Morning Show, uh, we'll be talking with Andre Savadich Because coming up this Thanksgiving Day, is the return of the Laura Baker Services Association Thanksgiving dinner. And we'll have more on that uh, tomorrow along with Tim McNiff. Stay tuned. Supreme Court Justice Gordon Moore is coming up next.
2: Tis the season to experience Deck the Falls this Saturday in Cannon Falls. Get ready to start your Christmas shopping. Don't get caught unprepared. Winter will be here before you know it. So stop in to have your tires checked. Stop in at Nate's Garage and talk to their incredible team of mechanics that will get your car and tires ready for the crazy weather and road conditions to come. Stop by Chicago Ed's Fine Jewelry for some free delicious cookies and hot cider for Deck the Falls. From fine crafted watches and jewelry to dazzling diamonds, they will have sales on everything your family jeweler in downtown cannon falls since 1954 it's all happening during deck the falls in cannon falls this saturday
1: family fair northfield's convenient downtown grocer is here with your thanksgiving meat savings get your holiday essential frozen turkey stovetop stuffing and king's hawaiian rolls family fair is stocked with fresh seafood for holiday appetizers and fresh pies for dessert stop in grab the weekly ad Get a Starbucks, get what you need, and be on your way in minutes. Family Fair, your local neighborhood market that provides real values for real people in real communities. Tackle your hunger the right way at the Quarterback Club in Northfield. Their juicy chicken, tender baby back ribs, and flame broiled burgers are all made to order. For daily specials, quality food,
2: and great prices, make it the Quarterback Club in Northfield.
0: Do you want to spread the word about your business, event, or gathering? By all means, Graphics in Downtown Northfield is here to help. We publish the Entertainment Guide, the Northfield Dundas Street Map, the Cannon Falls Discover Guide, and more. Make us your first stop and make the most of your advertising budget. Stop in at 17 Bridge Square in Downtown Northfield between the Chamber and the Barbershop. Or give us a call 507 663 7937. By all means, Graphics, we're here to help. 9.05 9.05 on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. My name is Rich Larson, and welcome to our monthly chat with Justice Gordon Moore of the Minnesota State Supreme Court Legal Talk. Good morning, Gordon. How are you? Good
2: morning, Rich. Uh, how are you doing?
0: There we go. Sorry about that, Gordon. There You didn't have your microphone Hold on. Yeah. Okay, good morning, everyone. Before we get going this morning, I want to publicly make a commitment to you, my friend, justice Moore. Uh, I don't know if you and I are going to, to have an opportunity to talk next month because of the holidays or we'll work that out. Be, be, uh, but when we talk in January, by January, the third Monday in January, I will have a proper opening put together for this show. This
2: is my promise to you, sir. Good. That would be a fantastic Christmas gift, Rich. <laughs> kind of a, uh, yeah, we need something kind of appropriately, uh, you know, I guess legal sounding. Exactly.
0: Something something serious, yet, you know, not not uh, not in,
2: not doom impending or anything right, like that. Just yes. this, this. Exactly. Maybe some oye oye or gavel pounding or something <laughs> like that. <this. laughs> something like that, right? Remember, right. I don't, do you remember the old...
0: Um, uh, w- w- this is going way back, uh, on WCCO radio, uh, the old, the old Boone and Erickson show. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. And they had a, they had a legal segment every, uh, er- every, once a week or every couple of days, I don't remember, but there was they had a really good oh yay oh yay gavel pounding thing. Maybe we need to
2: go dig that up. You know what? There's somewhere there's a YouTube video that must have that. I mean, and I'm yeah. sure I can find it too. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love the the Boone and Erickson uh, in the morning, and then the Cannon mess in the afternoon. Yeah, drive yeah, Time with yeah. Steve Cannon. That was I uh, old days. Uh, that
0: was that was uh, my dad listened to, to WCCO just. Religiously, I remember all that stuff from being a kid so um, this is the first time you and I have had a chance to talk since the uh, the election and please allow me to offer my congratulations you have been re-elected to the uh, the Minnesota State Supreme Court soundly defeating your opponent uh, you it, it's my understanding Gordon that you are the uh, um, the top vote getter. And in the entire state of Minnesota, no one
2: on that ballot got more votes than you did. Congratulations! Thanks, Rich. First of all, just slight clarification there that I was elected. I actually was appointed oh, right. by the governor, and so this was right. my first actual time before the voters. But yeah, it was it was nice to see the outcome. I, you know, when you're when you're running uncontested, you start. Dreaming up scenarios for writing campaigns mm-hmm. and what happens if this happens, and you know there were a lot of write-in votes there, which I, my wife keeps telling me to not think too much about, but I, <laughs> I probably could have done a little bit more with regard to some statewide name recognition issues. Uh, but I joked with my colleagues that I think uh, my vote tally was the product of being the first judge on the statewide ballot i think people (laughs) including my own child told me that she just got kind of tired filling in ovals on uncontested elections (laughs) down the way so i don't know how much uh, the, the actual numbers mean but i i am um humbled and honored beyond uh beyond what i can really adequately say to to be elected to that position when i was appointed two years ago i knew i'd be standing for election Mm -hmm. i sort of assumed it would be contested Mm -hmm. many of our supreme court elections are and so you know to say that was a little anxiety provoking would be an understatement when your your uh, livelihood is dependent on an election but um we got through it and i think more importantly and more broadly the system got through the election process uh, so far with a lot less drama than 2020 which it's I refreshing was, isn't yeah, it yeah it is it's sort of how it's supposed to work mm-hmm. you know people that lose elections concede the elections Yep. they concede gracefully yeah they're not filing endless yeah. lawsuits to you know try to undermine or attack you know the other side or the process or the people more importantly who are counting the votes who right. are the real heroes i think of this election cycle uh and particularly in some states where you know there is a lot of scrutiny to say the least well, <laughs> it's still a mess in arizona
0: But uh, I think across the country, uh, we've seen a lot more grace in this uh, in this election than we had in years past. And and frankly, especially here in Minnesota, I, 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 I was frankly surprised to see so many concessions on election night. And it was it was good to see. It was really good to see. Yeah, uh,
2: bipartisanly, too. I mean, yeah. I, you know, both sides. I mean, people yeah. just, you know, frankly behaved like you would hope and have always expected candidates for public office right. to behave. Right, right. You know, it's, it's tough to lose. It's yeah. tough to lose yeah. a contested, uh, hard-fought election and to stand up and acknowledge that. And I think it was... Uh, uh, congressman ryan in ohio that that told people and i would urge people to listen to his comments Mm -hmm. that night that it was honor and a privilege to concede the election after a hard-fought campaign obviously one that had a lot of you know national attention and he stood up there and didn't you know, point fingers of blame he just said you know the voters have spoken time to move forward right and you know i think everybody just kind of breathes a sigh of relief it was a little bit like in 2000 when al gore stood before yeah. the cameras and said you know what this is going to stop now i'm conceding i could i could make arguments i'm not going to do that for the good of the country right. for the good of the people right, right. we have to move forward right and so yeah that was i think uh, a reassuring thing but yeah, uh, later in the today's episode, I'd like to talk a little bit more about judicial elections because this whole thing has been on my mind since okay. we last talked about, um, you know, yeah. why judges are elected. And I thought we had a few more things to say about that. But, yes, um, the uh, w- you know, the world goes on. The elections, the terms of judges actually start, you know, in January after right. the election. So right. six-year terms for uh, elected judges. So all the 105 members of the... Uh, Minnesota Judiciary who were um, on the ballot and only one of whom uh, Charles Weber in Scott County was uh, contested. Everybody um, won that those races and so they will be sworn in again. You get re-sworn in every mm-hmm. term. Mm-hmm. So I will take the oath of office from the Chief Justice again uh, in January uh, as our constitutional officers will and the members of the legislature. Uh, and so yeah, the, new, the work continues but it kind of begins anew with right. the start of the right. term. You've got, uh, you, you, I, I would think
0: maybe you've got a little lift in your step because you know you've got, you've got six years now ahead of you to, uh,
2: to do the good work, continue the good work that you have done. Well, I'd be, I wouldn't be candid if I told you that the prospect of a contested election is a huge distraction. Sure. And talking to my colleagues that have gone through that, even primary elections, the work doesn't stop. I mean, the mm-hmm. citizens expect the judges and the justices of the state to get their work done, get the opinions out. And that's hard enough, but to be attending fundraisers and parades and things like that, yeah. while it's invigorating and engaging and, and some might argue good, uh, it's, it's a drain on time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got you uh, will stand for election again in twenty twenty eight.
2: Uh, yes, if should you decide, to, yes, yeah. I would. I would be eligible if uh, you know I'm fortunate enough to be still, Compass Menace <laughs> and continuing to <laughs> f- perform effectively. Yes, I seriously, I would be. I guess sixty five at that point. Okay. So yeah, I, that would be a another opportunity. Uh, you don't have to. I mean, obviously, I couldn't serve another full six year term beyond that because in Minnesota, judges have to retire. The last day of the month that they turn 70. Which, I didn't know that. Yes, which for me would be April of uh, 2023. And so that's why most. April of not 2023. 2033. 2033, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm advancing things a little bit. <laughs> 33, thank you. Uh, uh, and, you know, most judges do get appointed initially to their terms because they're basically filling the rest of a, ter- of a retired uh, judge's or okay. justice's term. So, right. yeah, I'll cross that bridge when we. Come to it right, right right well you've got you've got plenty of time to think about that yeah though, and i and and real, seriously i you know my goal coming to the court was to establish that i could do the work and that i could do it credibly i mean going from a district court job to a an appellate court job is a big jump mm-hmm. it's a big leap there's just yeah. no doubt about that i mean my colleagues who had served on the court of appeals had probably a little bit more training than i did coming from a district court uh, mm-hmm. position to mm-hmm. work in an appellate environment but I uh, have been, you know, working hard every day to try to earn my credibility in that regard. And it's, uh, it's really honoring and, frankly, really humbling to actually see the results and realize that, you know, the job... That I've actually held for the last two years is now a job that I've been elected to by the people, yeah. not just appointed yeah. to by yeah. a politician.
0: Well, you, you, you've, you've uh, clearly earned the trust of the people, and
2: I'm, I personally am very glad to see it because I think you're a uh, you're, you're a boon to the state. So. I just want to extend my thanks to the people that have reached out and told me that they supported me. It, it, they didn't have to do that. This is an uncontested election, you know. They didn't have to say boo. But I've had so many positive comments from around the community community and in St. Paul and for the judicial and legal community, people just being decent and supportive and, mm-hmm. and, to everybody who supported me, thank you. Um, if you didn't support me because you either didn't know who I was or had a concern about something, I guess I hope to earn your support in, in a later election and, you know, move forward. Right, right. Well, again, congratulations. So
0: beyond the election, what's uh, what's been going on with the, uh, the, the Supreme Court this month?
2: Well, uh, we're coming up on our December calendar. Uh, our December calendar starts actually in November. It starts a week from today on the 28th. Uh, We have 12 cases uh, for argument in, well, for consideration in December. Not all of them have oral argument uh, with them. Um, We're kind of back to the first-degree murder theme uh, that we had in September. We have five first-degree murder cases. Four of them are direct appeals. Uh, A reminder to the listeners that in Minnesota, first-degree murder is the most serious form of homicide or Mm -hmm. murder, generally involving premeditated uh, murders, some murders committed in the scope of or uh, during commission of other felonies, those go straight to the Supreme Court. They don't go to the Court of Appeals. So we hear those directly. Mm -hmm. So we have four direct appeals from first-degree murder convictions, and then one post-conviction relief case. Those also, when they involve first-degree murders, go directly to our court. Post-conviction relief is a way for a person to attack a conviction after it's occurred, by arguing that legal it's different than an appeal, it's a process for you know sometimes bringing forth new evidence or okay. new witnesses or making an argument that the law's changed or something like that. Is
0: that is that then asking for a new trial or is that just asking to have the uh, the, the the verdict overturned?
2: It's most most commonly the former, a new trial, but okay. sometimes it's the latter if, okay. if there just is an argument that the con- conviction was you know violated the law for some reason. Uh, the state doesn't get a do-over if a person is acquitted at a criminal trial mm-hmm. or if a conviction is vacated <clears throat> because of the insufficiency of evidence by the, uh, an appellate court. The state doesn't get to retry that person mm-hmm. unless the the reason the conviction was overturned was because of a, of a legal error such as a jury instruction mistake or something like that in that case. Right. Then the, if it's not related to the sufficiency of the evidence, Uh, the person would get a new trial. Uh, We have two tax court appeals, uh, one workers' compensation court of appeals. Those are executive branch courts that go directly to us. And then four uh, cases from the court of appeals on uh, petitions for review. Um, The Last week or last month, Rich, we talked a little bit about the PolyMet um, permit, yes, um, yes. water discharge permit issue. That case actually got moved to December okay. because of a uh, issue with one of the lawyers. And so that is being heard a, uh, a week from this Wednesday. Uh, that's the um, question of the contested case hearing uh, related to the issuance of permits for the copper nickel mine in northern Minnesota. And yeah. that's a big one. That has a yeah. record, I think uh one of the justices said uh 340,000 pages of materials that were generated during the permitting process now obviously that's not the direct record but the mm. direct record itself is 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 like i mean the uh, the briefs the friends of the court briefs i mean yeah. 1500 pages or something like you
0: that. you guys are i mean that's a lot of work to go through for one case and it's a Really
2: important case too. It's a too. huge case. We have two law clerks that have worked on the, on the bench memo. Um, it's, it's an enormous case. Right. It has a lot of implications and it's, we were all, we were all warned to get started early on the yeah. meeting for this case because, yeah. you know, you can normally read another, you know, another justice's case in, you know, half a day or something like that, mm. but this polymet case is not going to be that. I Boy, mean, this no. is, is going to no. be uh, tough. So yeah, Thanksgiving for me is going to be a <laughs> combination of family turkey maybe a little soccer football and a lot of reading a
0: little bench memos yeah, yeah. exactly
2: <laughs> um we do have an exoneration compensation um case that's kind of interesting um back back dana rochelle back versus state the legislature passed a law a few years ago, that allows people uh, who were exonerated um, wrong, because of a wrongful conviction. Mm-hmm. Many people have probably heard about the Innocence Project, people being exonerated who were, you know, sitting in prison because of a, you know, DNA sample that ended up not being tested and revealing they weren't the person who committed it. Right? Question is, what type of relief, financial relief, um. should occur for people that have had to spend prison time that they, you know. Arguably, should never have spent. Interesting. And so, exoneration compensation is the statute that was passed, and that has been back and forth before the court and the legislature. Miss um, Back was convicted uh, uh, in as a I, I think it was second degree manslaughter for alleged involvement uh, of a murder of a former um, boyfriend, and uh, she her case was thrown out by the state supreme court in two thousand nine. which okay. was vacated because of the lack of evidence, and so she filed a claim for exoneration compensation, Mm -hmm. which has gone back and forth. Uh, This is the second trip to the state Supreme Court in 2017. The state Supreme Court ruled part of the statute unconstitutional. The legislature fixed it the petition was resubmitted and we're considering that and back's case is actually being heard on wednesday the 30th um involving uh, right before the polymec case so if you were to tune in to a session that would be interesting uh for sure in december it would be uh, wednesday the 30th my gosh now so will are you
0: being asked to decide if the state should be compensating her at all or are you being asked to decide how much she should be compensating?
2: Uh, it's really the former. The, okay. the amount of compensation is defined by, is listed by uh, by the legislation. I believe it's $50,000 for each year in prison, okay. $20,000 for each year on supervised release. The question though that in Back's cases, you know, was she exonerated uh, under the meaning of the interesting. law? Interesting, okay. Uh, and you know without getting more into the details right. of it it's an interesting statute Interpretation question, and you know it's got a lot of implications for other yeah. cases. Yeah. Well, wow. Okay. So, yeah, that's uh, those are two of the highlights on our December calendar. Um, we are, you know, moving forward on other uh, issues too. We're dealing with the uh, the state the, the ABA, the American Bar Association, mm-hmm. has provided the court with some recommendations for. Um, the relationship between the court and the office of lawyers for professional responsibility um, in response to some concerns that have been uh, raised regarding that issue. you know that's the office that disciplines attorneys. And so we are considering those recommendations, uh, and there's going to be at some point a very large public hearing on that after the first of the year. So okay. that's something we'll talk about later. Yeah, um, the question of the bar exam and how the bar exam does it or doesn't it. Really provide, um, a path to being a lawyer that is, you know, that is modern, relevant in a modern sense. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of critics of the bar exam. Is, is it, is that a fair way to, to, is that a fair hurdle to require people to jump through before they provide legal services? Mm -hmm. And we're looking at, uh, there's three subcommittees that have been appointed by the state. Board of Law Examiners that are looking at alternative models or paths to to legal work in the state of Minnesota. So that's a stay tuned for 2023 discussion, too. That actually raises a couple interesting uh, questions in my mind. First
0: of all, um, once a lawyer passes or once a person passes the bar
2: exam, are they required to take it again ever? No. Okay. Nope. You, once you pass, and within that state, you're not unless... Unless you are, uh, disciplined and are suspended or, you know, frankly removed from the bar, then under those circumstances you would. But some states, uh, require you to take their individual bar exams, Mm -hmm. others, you know the Uniform Bar Exam states, which is a consortium of states that basically give the same type mm-hmm. of exam. You can waive into other states if you get a certain uh, UBE score, mm-hmm. and so that's a that's a path that some lawyers use to get licensed in Minnesota, okay. depending on what our cut score is. Is there any? I
0: mean, be, be, because you know the the law is a living thing and it, it it evolves and it changes over time. Is there any continuing education or updated education that
2: lawyers are required to undergo? Yes, absolutely. We're required to have forty five hours uh, each reporting cycle, which I believe is three years. So I think yeah. it's fifteen hours of. What we call continuing legal education a year for judges is continuing judicial education. Mm-hmm. So for the, in the first week of December, uh, the judges will be convening at the annual, annual conference of judges. You know, that's a way for judges to hear updates on case law and other things from experts, policy experts, legal experts. And it's really important for us to maintain education. Yeah. I mean, it's not a static thing. Right. I mean, the law changes dramatically as we've seen Supreme Court decisions can change dramatically and so we have to adapt to that. Yeah. uh, I would think that's
0: really important. I'm actually I'd never thought about that before but I'm glad to know that you guys have to update yourselves.
2: Um, A couple of other things of interest to me and and hopefully to the listeners. um, Over the last week there was a really a bombshell story that dropped in the New York Times about another alleged leak from the United States Supreme Court. Yes. And and this alleged, I want to capitalize that and underline it Mm -hmm. because it's been denied. But um, as uh, listeners may be aware, the New York Times reported that um, one of the justices, Samuel Alito, allegedly told private dinner companions about how the high court was going to decide a landmark case of 20, in 2014, Burwell versus Hobby Lobby. And for, for people that are in the legal community, you know that the Supreme Court decided that requiring a company to provide contraception mm-hmm. as part of health coverage violated religious freedom mm-hmm. of the company. Mm-hmm. That was Hobby Lobby. Um, and so this story was brought to the New York Times by this kind of controversial figure, okay. a very conservative um, member of a religious community that had been, frankly, very much uh, to the right on the reproductive rights issue and now yeah. has kind of gone the other other direction. Interesting. Uh, and there's emails that were obtained. Uh, the story was sourced and it's Um, to say the least, highly problematic. Wow. Very problematic. Uh, Justice Alito is denied uh, discussing uh, the authorship of the the Hobby Lobby case, denied being, he's basically denied the story. So I want to emphasize that. But in light of what happened with the Dobbs decision that Justice Alito authored and the leak of that draft opinion, which has not yet been, the the result of the internal investigation hasn't been revealed to the uh, to the people um you know this is raising a lot of concerns mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. along the lines of this uh, justice kagan Justice Alito have engaged in kind of this back and forth over the summer over, you know, the question of the court's legitimacy, frankly. I wow. mean, there's been a, you know, a, a back and forth yeah. through different speeches, different um, and, you know, there's a lot of concern right now about this whole topic. Um, and I I'm not going to say more about it other no. than I know initially, you know, the, the comments in the media were to blame staff members or law clerks for this uh, this Dobbs decision being disseminated. And the silence on that front, to me, has been noteworthy. Um, I yeah. would think if there had been somebody that was implicated in doing that that we would have found out about that so stay tuned on this um i the new york times i don't think is going to let this go and I uh would. chief the chief justice uh in my opinion um is in a really difficult position here i mean right. really well i i think with regard to the yeah. institutional legitimacy of the yeah. court which he is yeah. the protector of and i know from his public comments he's quite concerned about as he mm-hmm. should be about mm-hmm. the legitimacy of the court the, the perception of the court and the American public, and you know um, just the how the people view the court is it viewed as a political partisan organization or is it viewed as an unbiased arbiter of le- important legal disputes leaks
0: to my in, in my memory leaks from the Supreme Court have been unheard of until now. And I'm not going to ask you to comment on this at all, but it, it, I, I will just say it's interesting that they're both con- uh, both uh, uh, connected to uh, Justice Alito.
2: You know, I'm not going to say anything more about this, Rich, yep. other than to just say that uh, I think inter- concerned citizens should be paying close attention yeah. to the follow-up on these stories because we have with, we have a responsibility to, we to pay attention to this. Yeah, we do. I mean, this is I mean the court. Because of the, le- the legislature at the federal level, Congress's inability to legislate in certain important areas because of, of bipartisan divides, the court has been delegated, in a sense— or has become the decider on some of these incredibly important public policy a issues. A lot of public uh, policy and issues, and the question is, you know, is is that good? Is that appropriate? Right. Well, that's another discussion. It you is know, political science. You know, maybe that's the three hundred one class. But <laughs> I just am concerned that if citizens view the court as just being a political beast, I mean, yeah. it just as a polit- an arm of political parties and whoever can ram through appointments to the court, will control that agenda. You know, that that to me does some serious damage to the institution. And unfortunately, with our our partisan uh, uh, situation
0: right now, that is sort of the way, and it's not just in the last five years. I mean, we're talking the last... 30 some years i mean that's the way the public uh perception has been drifting too for right. the and it's, you're right i agree with you it's it's a sad thing
2: it's you know i i we've talked about this before at, at the state level we are very very careful to mm-hmm. not engage in discussions regarding our cases outside of the office clerks are instructed that we protect our materials um we honor the requirement that we confine our discussions about cases to those who have a reason to know within the the court, and that opinions aren't draft opinions that are being circulated aren't leaked. They're not discussed. Right. Uh, things can change, and you know the what ends up coming out is the product of considerable internal discussions and edits. Uh, and not outside influences right right so let's uh let's
0: talk a little bit about uh, uh judicial elections
2: a little yeah bit. yeah the just a kind of a little primer here on judicial elections i mean people have asked me over the last month or so why do we elect judges in this state right. Why? you know it kind of the i think sort of the underpinning of the question is is this really worth it what are we doing if there's only one contested election it's, it's been part of our system, actually, since statehood. Uh, it's par- been part of the Minnesota Constitution since 1858. Actually, I, I learned the judges started at seven-year terms, and then that moved to six. Um, prior to the late 1800s, however, the balloting process was controlled by the political party. It wasn't until the late 1800s that the so-called Australian or the secret ballot was, was um, required to be used in Minnesota, uh, requiring ballots to be printed on plain white paper at the direction of public officials Hmm. not political parties all party names are on it and voters could mark their their Choices in secret seems like a logical, obvious thing, yeah. but that isn't always yeah. always been interesting. Uh, but most importantly, in 1912, the Minnesota Legislature mandated that all judicial elections were to be nonpartisan, so party designations removed from ballots. Mm-hmm. Candidates would not be required or permitted to to find or to get party affiliation, and so that's essentially how it, it has been since then. Um, the incumbent designation was added to the ballot in the late 40s. Uh, also. Uh, the legislature rejected a retention election, which is basically after you're appointed by a governor, there'd be a, you know, the voters would be given the question of whether you should be retained in the election, uh, not whether you should be elected over somebody else. That so called Missouri plan has never been adopted here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in 1949, the legislature decided that judges would get the benefit of having the incumbent designation, and it, we are the only office that has that on the ballot and the reason for that is because incumbency does mean something and it's a belief that the citizens are better um no better educated in knowing who's actually held the job and that's been really important since the creation of the 49 member judicial selection commission in 1990 which was a reaction Mm to some 1980s appointments that were viewed as too political. Mm -hmm. And so the commission fields applications for open uh, judgeships and makes uh, three to five recommendations to the governor considering each applicant's integrity, maturity, health of job-related temperament, diligence, legal knowledge, ability, and experience in community service. And so for each vacancy, 13 members of the commission comprised of nine at-large members and then four local members from the district where the vacancy occurred, they do due, due, due diligence. They evaluate the candidates, and they make recommendations to the governors after an interview process. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of screaming that goes on. <laughs> uh, members are required. I get yeah. calls all the time from members of the Judicial Selection Commission. Hey, have you heard of this lawyer? What do you know about this Okay. lawyer um and you know sometimes i do have information and mm-hmm. often I, times i don't if they mm-hmm. can come from southwest minnesota where i work for all these years but mm-hmm. the, the governor has sole constitutional authority to make judicial appointments but because of the strength of the judicial selection commission that was created as a bipartisan response to concerns about politics uh, governors have very rarely declined Uh, to select their appointments from the commission's recommendations. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, since the early 1990s, there have been very few judges who weren't on that list of recommended candidates. And so I I bring this up because I think it really is part of the reason why we haven't had the partisan Mm -hmm. reentry into uh, judicial politics in in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. The you know, the number of contested elections has dropped with the limitation of party influence on judicial elections, and I don't think there's any doubt about that correlation. Right. The more partisan the elections are, the more contested and mm-hmm. the more money, the PAC money are going to be. And I'm not suggesting that there shouldn't be contested elections. I mean, you know, that can, we can have a robust discussion about sure. issues, but... The notion of uh, political parties selecting candidates for judges, and mm-hmm. then you know, we all saw the onslaught of commercials funded by outside interest groups i mean that's the kind of thing that i think is really corrosive to the judicial branch when you were a district judge were you ever challenged
0: for your position
2: nope Nope, i was up for election in 2014 and was not challenged in 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 the judicial elections for instance northfielders would have seen on on their ballot the third judicial district district court judge candidates. Mm-hmm. That's basically the Southeast Minnesota quadrant from mm-hmm. Rice down to Houston County and over to like Albert Lee and mm-hmm. up to uh, Owatonna, that area. And so those judges that were on the ballot, you know, and, and you were asked to vote for people undoubtedly that you've never, never been in front of. I mean, right. why would you know somebody from Winona or, you know, Lanesboro? Right. right. I mean, it's just the, the way things go. But again, having that incumbent designation should give people a sense that, look, this is somebody that's gone through this process. I mean, the people that are on the district court bench now have gone through this judicial selection process and have had their candidacy vetted by people whose job it is to ask tough questions. And trust me, they ask really tough questions. Oh, I don't you doubt are, that. It's, it's, a, it's a, a very intimidating election process. They are concerned about making sure that the right people get on the bench and, frankly, that the wrong people don't get on the bench. Right,
0: that, and that's the important – I mean, they're, they're equal sides of the thing, but
2: it is very important that we don't put the wrong people right. on the now, bench. Right, now, I don't want to – to sound like you know people are clones i mean you know people come to the judiciary through different life experiences right. they have different backgrounds temper you know there's public defenders prosecutors corporate lawyers in-house lawyers litigators mm-hmm. uh you know judges from other jurisdictions but they share a passion for public service and mm-hmm. an interest in in doing the job and that's that's what we need right. uh, and but the system is enhanced by viewpoint diversity, geographic diversity um, racial ethnic socioeconomic diversity I mean that bringing those perspectives to the benches is, is important as well right now uh, there are States in the country where judges do hold a, a party designation. Right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I told this story, I think to, to some, we were in North Carolina visiting my oldest son in August and visited the North Carolina Supreme Court and the former Chief Justice Sherry Beasley, who just ran for the Senate unsuccessfully, she was defeated by one of her colleagues, hmm. uh, for Chief Justice by 400 votes in the 2020 election. Wow. I mean, that one colleague running against each other with pure political labels, Beasley being the Democrat and and the now Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court as a Republican. And, you know, I asked this guy that was giving us the tour, I said, well, how did that work internally? And he just kind of looked at me and shook his head. I mean, that that just cannot be Co- conducive to no. collaborative, and, no. and you know, I mean, no. that, that just ends up siloing people, you know, and that's what you don't want. Th- there's a reason we call it a collegial court. I yes. mean, you,
0: you, you guys are are, are expected to uh, treat each other with uh, with with great respect and and. Uh, uh there's gotta be some dignity involved in right. that too. And,
2: and, and just to finish the story, there's Sorry. no no indication that that the justices in North Carolina had, you know didn't do those things, but it did create, you know, an impression of a completely partisan process. Well, of course it did. And you know that's just you shouldn't have to be raising money immediately upon getting appointed to a judicial position I mean if when we go down that Man. road I think we are we are in danger of having our court system just become captured by special interests we talked about this a little bit last week too and
0: I, I will say again the idea of a uh, a judicial candidate or a sitting judge uh, going out to raise money makes my stomach hurt yes yeah
2: Yeah. I when I became an uncontested candidate for mm-hmm. this last term i decided it would be unethical and inappropriate for me to be asking anybody for money yeah. for a uncontested race i mean i judges can't ask directly anyway right their campaigns make the ask but yeah. i just i just yeah. shut down i just told the people that were working with me you know anything i'm going to do is going to be self-funded and you know we're going to see how it goes yeah but yeah. so that's the little uh, judicial election uh, information i wanted to give out and you know, we we carry on, and hopefully, what we're doing in Minnesota is viewed as being is being effective in in supporting the people and supporting the needs of the state. And I hope it continues this way in a nonpartisan fashion, because we have seen in other states when it's not. That way they it, it can become pretty ugly, and people get pretty cynical about it, yeah, I can imagine well I, I I just from a personal
0: standpoint i'm very happy to see you reelected first because I think that you belong on the bench up in, uh, in St. Paul, but secondly, it also means that legal talk has now been renewed for another six years so <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, the primary concern. Exactly. Well, you know, we,
0: we, we got programming we have to fill. So. Right. And
2: now, now we have a renewed emphasis on getting that bumper music too.
0: Exactly right. Exactly right. So, uh, Justice Gordon Moore, is there anything else you would uh, like to address? I don't think so,
2: Rich. Okay. Happy holidays to everybody that's listening. Indeed. I pre- appreciate the people who do listen to our show. I do get some, some yeah. follow up comments, and I, I really appreciate the support of Northfielders and others in the area that find us you know online and um, wish everybody a happy thanksgiving and um, a sane and safe uh, holiday season and and the same to you sir you've been listening to legal talk uh with justice
0: gordon moore on am 1080 and fm 91 95.1 kymn radio and uh come up in just a minute we'll hear a little boz skaggs thanks for listening folks
1: Real Radio. True Variety. 95.1. The One.